0: Bite Size Birthday Biography Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Mira. This is a podcast where we shine the spotlight on a person who was born on this day at some point in history, somewhere in the world, who made a positive lasting impact. Today, February 5th, we're going to talk about Dorothy Levitt, the fastest woman in the world. So Dorothy was the kind of woman that got it done. Not only was she the first female British race car driver, she also held the women's world land speed record during her life, she held the world's first water speed record, she was the driving instructor for Queen Alexandra and all the princesses, and she also invented the rearview mirror. And she did all of this with a gun in her glove compartment and a dog on her lap. So let's waste no more time and let's get into the life of the fabulous and the fastest Dorothy Levitt as much as there is, that is. Aside from her birth in 1882 and her death in 1922 at the age of 40, the only years that are recorded of her life are 1902 to 1910. Before and after that, she mysteriously vanishes from all history and records like an automotive brigadoon. Dorothy was one of three girls born into a wealthy jeweler family. Her family was of Jewish ancestry, her birth name was actually Levi, so her parents changed their last name to Levitt. Pretty much nothing is recorded about her childhood except for the fact that she was a master horsewoman at a young age. Horseback riding was so easy for her that she would later comment that staying on a horse leaping over hedges at a steeplechase was easier than race car driving. The first mention of her in public records shows up um, as a record of employment as a secretary for Napier and Sons. Just why a young beautiful woman who came from money was working as a secretary is not recorded. But uh, Napier and Sons was this British engineering firm, and they were known for creating luxury cars. They didn't start out making cars, though. The company was actually purchased from the executors of the Napier estate by the son of the founder. The improbably named Montague Napier was a man with vision for his father's prestigious engineering firm, and he knew that the future had wheels. So when Montague was approached by race car driver and businessman Selwyn Edge, God, these names, to work on one of his racing cars, Montague realized that the direction the company needed to go in was to start making cars. They began to manufacture them in 1899. The automotive industry in England was just starting to blossom at this point, so Montague got in at exactly the right time. So Montague and Selwyn worked out a mutually beneficial relationship in which Selwyn would drive Napier cars in races and Montague would keep Selwyn in Napier cars. So how did Selwyn and Dorothy actually get together? There's a few rumors, and none of them can really be substantiated at this point. Most historians seem to think that Montague and Selwyn were looking for ways to boost sales of the car, but like all motorized things at the time, they were seen as playthings for men only. But some companies, Kodak being one of the first, We're starting to realize that they were missing a big part of the market. Women shopped, they looked at ads and magazines, and they liked nice things. Sure, they weren't bringing home the bacon, but they often had a say in how the money was spent. And if a man was going to buy a car, chances are his wife would want one that she could enjoy as well. So companies started to really lean heavily on the whole, our product is so user-friendly, even a woman could use it. And the thinking is that Selwyn and Montague started to think along these lines. What they needed was a hot woman to associate with their brand, possibly even to pose in some pictures with their cars, and they didn't have to look past the steno pool. Described as a, quote, beautiful secretary with long legs and eyes like pools, Selwyn snatched Dorothy up, quickly promoting her from secretary to his personal assistant. A romance followed suit, but Selwyn also saw in her a brave, adventurous, and high-spirited woman who genuinely liked cars and wanted to enjoy the independence that came along with them. Times were changing, thankfully, as the country slipped from the Victorian into the Edwardian era, and with that shift, there came a reimagining of not only transportation, but also functionality versus fun. To drive was human, to race divine, so cars began to become the playthings of the rich, the reckless, and the restless. The first thing Selwyn had to do with his new lover slash protege was teach her to drive, but he wouldn't be caught dead teaching a woman to drive. So he pawned the task off onto poor Leslie Callingham, a junior salesman who didn't have the seniority to say no. Leslie was less than thrilled about this, especially since he was told to do it on his only day off work. Leslie took an instant dislike to Dorothy, but thankfully she was a super quick steady and their interaction was very brief. So now Dorothy could drive, so to speak, but Selwyn knew this wasn't enough. Dorothy also had to know about cars, specifically their maintenance. And at this point, Dorothy knew that she wanted to make a career out of cars in some capacity. So Selwyn sent her to Paris for six months to apprentice with a French car manufacturer. And while she was there, she learned about everything from construction to mechanics to maintenance to design. Dorothy then returned to England, now the only highly qualified female driver in the country, and she was immediately snatched up by the royal family as a private driving instructor for Queen Alexandra and her three daughters, Victoria, Maude, and Louise. The following year, 1903, Dorothy undertook her first race in April, making her the first English woman to ever do so. She also participated in several other races over the next few months, some as Selwyn's passenger and some as a solo driver. Her speed race debut came that same year on October 2nd, when she participated in the Southport Speed Trials, becoming the first British woman to enter a speed race. The prizes were broken up by the cost of the cars being used, and Dorothy won first place for cars marked between 400 and 500 pounds. In her case, she was driving a gladiator. Her male cohorts were shocked to see a woman competing (coughs) and winning in a male sport. Dorothy was not the only lady tearing up the dust on the tracks, though. Camille de Gast, the millionaire slash animal rights activist slash sportswoman slash women's rights activist, was an accomplished race car driver as well, and actually just an all-around fascinating person. We're going to talk about her on May 30th. But Camille was raising a lot of eyebrows because she was driving in a leather coat and goggles and a hat with ear flaps, which makes a lot of sense in a car that is more open than a convertible careening down dirt roads. But Dorothy, who was quite slender and described as very shy, dressed in the popular feminine fashions of the day, a large skirt, all the coordinating undergarments, a matching hat and a veil and a real thin desk coat. Constantly accompanying her was a yappy black Pomeranian named Dodo, a gift from her friend Mademoiselle Marie Cornell. Dodo had actually been smuggled into England while drugged and hidden in a car's mechanic box. Dorothy's family background allowed her the financial independence during this time to live in comfort with her friends in the West End of London, her house tended by servants. When she wasn't racing, she was trout fishing and playing poker and roulette with the goal of breaking the bank at Monte Carlo. Her love of speed earned her not only the title of scorcher for how she burned up the road, but it also earned her the attention of the police, who summoned her to court on November 6, 1903 for driving, quote, at a great pace. The arresting officer attested that when he pulled Dorothy over and began to admonish her for almost running him over, she replied that she would like to drive over every policeman and wished that she had run over the sergeant and killed him. Dorothy had refused to acknowledge the summons and did not come to court, but paid a five-pound fine for speeding. Undeterred, she sped full steam ahead into 1904. She drove the 1,000-mile Hereford light car trial all alone with no accompanying mechanic in her 8 horsepower powered Dion car, she was actually in the clear lead to win this. Uh, actually, she was going to win the gold, but the needle valve and her carburetor came loose and waylaid her on the final day of the race. Next up, though, was the Southport Speed Trials at Blackport, in which she actually won two medals while driving a 50-horsepower Napier. The same year, she also took her love of speed to the Waves, winning the inaugural British International Harmsworth Trophy for motorboats, and setting a world record when she hit 19.3 miles per hour in a 40-foot, 75-horsepower Napier speedboat. She piloted the same boat at the Cows Race the next month and won again. Later that day, she was summoned to the Royal Yacht, where King Edward VII had been watching the race, and he praised her strength and daring, and they talked for quite a while about uh, boats and, and racing. Two weeks later, Dorothy won the Gaston Meniere Cup in France against the world's best boaters and was awarded a $1,750 cash prize. She rounded out the year by winning the championship of the seas once again in her Napier boat. The French government was actually so impressed that they bought her boat. In 1905, Dorothy started off the year with yet another world record, becoming the holder of the rather humorous honorific of the longest drive achieved by a lady driver. And she drove from London to Liverpool in an eight horsepower to Dion Bouton and back in two days, taking along only a friend to attest to her time, her dog Dodo and a gun. She completed the 205 mile journey in 11 hours each way for a total of 22 hours at about 20 miles per hour. During the summer of that year, she also won a non-stop certificate at the Scottish Trials, driving her 8 horsepower Dion. and in July, she set her first ladies' world speed record at the Brighton Speed Trials, hitting 79.75 miles per hour in an 80-horsepower Napier. She continued her streak in 1906, breaking her own speed record when she hit 90.88 miles per hour in the Blackpool Speed Trial, driving a 100-horsepower Napier K5 L-48. Dorothy was now the fastest woman in the world, both in reality and in the press. In an interview with the Penny Illustrated paper, she described the sensation of driving as wonderful. One can hardly describe one's sensations. There's a feeling of flying through space. I never think of the danger. That sort of thing won't do, but I know it is omnipresent. The slightest touch of the hand and the car swerves and swerves are usually fatal, but I'm a good gambler and I'm always willing to take the chance. In going that pace, the hardest thing is to keep in the car. Half the time, the wheels don't touch the ground at all, when they do touch, you must be prepared to take the shock and lurch, else out you will go. 1907 and 1908 saw more successes and some predictable misogyny. She was not allowed to enter the brand new Brooklyn's race circuit, and they would not accept female drivers for over a year. She shrugged it off and went on to compete in the Bexhill-on-Sea speed trial, coming in second in her 8 horsepower De Dion. The next month, she was the first woman driver and the fourth out of 172 drivers total to cross the finish line at the German Hercomer Trophy race in her 60-horsepower Napier. She finished up the year by coming in first in her class at the Galleon Hill Climb in France, chugging up the hill in her 40-horsepower six-cylinder Napier. The year was now 1909, and having conquered both land and water, Dorothy took on the air. She attended the Hubert Latham School of Aviation in France, then became a member of the Aero Club in the UK. She flew in flight school as well as outside of it, even giving interviews about flying. The fact that she had not actually finished her pilot's license didn't seem to bother her, but it did stop her from being able to race places, which is why she had enrolled in flight school in the first place. By the end of the year, she also became an author, releasing her debut book, The Woman and the Car, a chatty little handbook for women who motor or want to motor. The book was full of many helpful tips, like don't be afraid of the mechanical aspects of a car, always carry a small gun in the glove compartment, but her most lasting tip was her advice to carry a small pocket mirror to hold up so you could see behind you as you drive, effectively creating the rearview mirror seven years before auto manufacturers did. And this is where all records of her stopped. She suddenly disappeared from public view, reemerging posthumously when her body was found in her apartment at 50 Upper Baker Street on May 17th, 1922. The cause of death for the unmarried Dorothy was given as morphine poisoning, compiled with heart disease and measles. Her death was ruled one of misadventure, a term used in the UK for deaths that are accidental but came as a result of a known risk being taken, in her case, ingesting morphine. Dorothy was buried at the Meadowview Jewish Cemetery in Brighton. My sources today were Wikipedia, the East End Women's Museum, and History Garage. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating on Apple Podcast. It means the world to a totally homemade podcast. And if you're feeling social, you can follow Humans in History on Instagram at humans underscore in underscore history. Thank you so much for joining me for our birthday celebration of Dorothy Levitt. Please join me on February 9th when we talk about Dr. Aletta Jacobs, the founder of the world's first birth control clinic. See you then.